This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... <coughs> I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days, so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Hi there, and welcome back to Out There, a cryptid podcast. I'm your host, Josh. Each week I'll be coming out with a new episode focused on a cryptid that I find really fascinating and weird. And if you still don't know what a cryptid is, that's okay. It's an animal, such as Sasquatch or the Loch Ness Monster, that has been claimed to exist but never proven to exist. Now, cryptids aren't all supernatural or mythical beings. Although many of them are believed to be, some cryptids have actually become documented animals. We are on Instagram at out there cryptids. So make sure you go and follow and check out the post I make for each episode and maybe send some suggestions you'd like to hear. Today's episode is going to be a little different than normal. It's about a cryptid that is so popular and widely believed in that there's no way to cover it in one episode. So instead, I'll cover particular instances that these cryptids are involved in. There's going to be no weird club segment of the show today because I'm going to be doing this solo since there's so much information. Today, we will be talking about the strange death of a beloved horse, Snippy, and the other strange occurrences in the San Luis Valley. San Luis Valley, Colorado. On September 27, 1967, Harry was taking care of his sister's Appaloosa horse named Lady. Snippy was a nickname that Nellie called her beloved lady because of her snippy attitude sometimes. Harry went to give Lady fresh water and a treat, like he did every morning, but she was nowhere in sight. He started walking around the property, calling for her, expecting her to come, but she didn't. After searching and searching, he finally found her. Lady was lying on her side, and her head was stripped to the bone. He said the cuts were so precise and certainly could not have come from a coyote or even a pack of them. The strangest part was the odor around her body. He described it as a strong chemical smell, like acetone that was lingering in the air. Harry immediately called his sister Nellie about the sad news and the strange death. When she arrived, she was devastated, but also baffled by the strange death. When Nellie's husband arrived, he noted that the bones looked like they had been exposed to the sun for years and had a strange pinkish color to them. Nellie and her family started examining the surrounding area to try to get a better picture of what happened, and what they found just added to the confusion. Now, one strange thing about the carcass is that there was no bloating to the body, nor an odor of decomposition, and even stranger, no predators like 
vultures or crows had found it appetizing, even though it was noted that the flesh at the base of the neck was edible. This was only one sign of something around this being out of the ordinary. The next part is even stranger, so buckle up. Snippy's hoof prints ended about a hundred feet from where her remains were found. No other prints were found by her body. About a hundred yards north of the body, the family found 15 burns that looked like exhaust marks. In the same area, they found that a bush about three feet tall had been completely flattened, and within a ten-foot radius of the bush, there were six indentations, about two inches around and six inches deep. They formed a circle with about a three-foot diameter. As if all of this couldn't have gotten weirder, on some of the bushes, Nellie found what she described as a gelatin-like green globs and a piece of metal covered with horsehair. Out of curiosity, she touched the goo, and her hands began to burn and hurt until she could wash them off. Nellie decided it was time to call the local sheriff to come and investigate and maybe hopefully give her some kind of explanation. After the sheriff examined the remains, he declared that the horse had died from a lightning strike, which is odd because that's not what would happen to a horse if lightning struck it. But also, the weather reports for the time period and area didn't show any storm activity. An employee of the U.S. Forest Service heard word and brought a Geiger counter out to the area. When testing the area, he found that the burn marks and the surrounding area were radioactive. Not only that, but the green goo and the metal object with horsehair in it was also radioactive. The local news soon got word, and instead of people thinking Nellie and her family were making it up, most people believed them. And not only did they believe them, people came forward with their stories of strange events happening in the area as well. One man claimed he was followed by what he described as a top-shaped object. Then a college student in the area said both of his tires blew out as he approached a strange object that was sitting in a field. Even the Superior Court Judge, Charles E. Bennett, and his wife had an occurrence around that time. They claimed to have seen three reddish-orange rings in the sky that maintained a triangle formation, moved at a high speed, and made a humming noise. There were also small black jet planes claimed to have been buzzing around the area where Snippy died. And one of the most compelling ones was from two sheriff's deputies, who said they were followed by an orange globe and they were threatened with their jobs if they reported the incident. Many days after Snippy's body was found, the police were called to the Great Sand Dunes National Park because rangers had reported someone trespassing after the park had closed. When police got there, they found the trespasser. His name was Dr. John Altshuler, an award-winning pathologist. After the police told him he broke the law and needed to leave, he begged them not to share his name because he was afraid it would tarnish his career. They asked why he was there in the first place, and he told them he was out there watching for UFOs. The police decided to make him a deal. They would let him off the hook if he would come out to see Snippy's body and give his expert opinion on the cause of death. He agreed. 
this part is a little graphic, so brace yourselves. When Dr. Altshuler started examining the body, he discovered that the thyroid, lungs, and heart of Snippy were completely removed. And not only that, but he said they were the cleanest cuts he had ever seen. All the organs in the abdominal were gone, and even the brain. Plus, there was no fluid in the spinal column. The skin where the cuts were made was a black color, which could indicate some sort of cauterizing tool. But the strangest thing to him was the lack of blood. He did an interview many, many years later and said this, quote, I have done hundreds of autopsies. You can't cut into a body without getting some blood. But there was no blood on the skin or the ground. No blood anywhere. The outer edges of the skin were cut firm, almost as if they had been cauterized by a modern-day laser. But there was no cauterizing laser technology like that in 1967. End quote. After popularity grew about the story, other international news media became interested as well. It even caught the attention of the Aerial Phenomenon Research Organization, or the APRO, since possible UFO reports around the time were linked to Snippy Strange's death, an investigation began. And also because of this, the Condon Committee, which was a group that was funded by the U.S. Air Force from 1966 to 1968 at the University of Colorado, started their own investigation. They sent their own pathologist, Dr. Robert Adams, to examine Snippy. After he did, he concluded that there was no unearthly cause gave no possible explanation, just that it wasn't aliens. Nellie was frustrated and claimed his conclusion was false, because he didn't take into account the strange odor or lack of blood at the scene. Most people believe Snippy was killed by aliens. People who didn't believe that came up with their own theories that ranged from a secret government project to a satanic cult ritual. But people in the town and surrounding area believed they were being visited by something else, something out there. Snippy's death was just one strange occurrence in the San Luis Valley, but not the only one. People call it the Bermuda Triangle of the West. The valley is in the south-central part of Colorado and is a high-altitude valley. It's home to the Great Sand Dunes National Park, the Colorado Gators Reptile Park, and even the famous UFO Watchtower. As of 2013, the population of the San Luis Valley was about 46,780 people. Now, that number does sound pretty high, but compared to the size of the valley, I can tell you it's not. It's made up of mainly cattle ranches and other farmlands, and there aren't any major cities in the valley, so there's no light pollution in the valley. That means the night sky is so clear you can even see the Milky Way. That being said, people have been reporting seeing UFOs even during the day. So, what could be in this valley that these UFOs, or aliens, are attracted to? Judy Messling used to be a cattle farmer. That is why she moved to the San Luis Valley. But after she arrived, she started hearing all the strange stories from the locals about strange lights in the skies and strange occurrences in the valley. She even had some sightings of her own. After a few years in the cattle business, she decided to leave, and she opened up the UFO Watchtower. 
As of 2011, apparently there have been at least 59 sightings at the tower. Between 2000 and 2011, approximately 20,000 people visited the tower. And in 2020, I was one of them. And I will tell you more about my experience towards the end when I'm discussing possible theories. But to give you a better picture of the tower, it is on Messaline's 600 acres, right off of Highway 17. There is a white dome where she has a little gift shop full of alien memorabilia and also copies of the sightings people have reported from there. At least two binders full of sightings. Above the dome is the tower, which is only really 10 feet off the ground, but in front of all of this is what they call the Vortex Garden. And on a little sign, it explains that numerous psychics have claimed that multiple vortexes meet in this area. But in this garden, there are a bunch of little trinkets left from visitors. They range from shoes to sunglasses, from t-shirts to wigs, and of course, there are a couple green aliens too. Now, there has been a wide variety of sightings that have been in the valley. They include dots of light moving through the skies in an erratic pattern and at very high speeds. Some are more common UFOs, like saucers, triangles, and other shapes or forms. There has also been a good amount of abduction stories in the valley as well. Now, there isn't much information on them, but one is from a hunter who supposedly realized he couldn't remember three hours of his day while out hunting, as if time just slipped away. Another was by a truck driver who claimed to have seen a bright light before losing four hours of his day. This one is very interesting because truck drivers usually have a tight schedule to follow and have to fill out a log every time they stop and such, so the fact that he couldn't remember four hours and there was nothing on the logs is weird to say the least. And even weirder, after his experience, he said he started experiencing violent nightmares and had an extreme case of claustrophobia, which he had never had before. UFO sightings can be traced all the way back to the 1600s, back when there were just settlements in the area, which is obviously long before any known flying objects existed. However, during the 1960s, there was a huge spike in reports, which was right during the space race. And we'll discuss more about that later on in the episode. The next story is from a man named Christopher O'Brien who investigated the valley between 1992 and 2002. He wrote three books from all the things he heard and his experiences there. He reports that between 1992 and 2000, about every conceivable type of UFO craft was reported many times in the San Luis Valley by residents and visitors. This includes silver, red, orange, green, white, and blue lighted spheres that were seen with other more traditional, with quotes around that, saucer-shaped crafts, even huge black triangles that were reported by police in the area. And there was even one instance where a silent triangle was seen accompanied by what looked like maybe military helicopters. September 1948. Grant Edwards Sr., a San Luis Valley resident, started showing daylight UFO footage to the other people in the town. Edward filmed these UFOs on his new 8mm movie camera. That August afternoon he filmed them, 
he unknowingly became the first person in U.S. history to ever film multiple UFOs in daylight. The footage shows objects in the sky. One looks like a ball of white light, but there's some sort of pattern to it, almost like an S. The other looks like a long tube with smaller or equal-sized tubes attached. It's almost like a, a giant piece from the game of Jacks. This last story is much more recent and bears a lot of resemblance to Snippy's strange case. So like I said, graphic. Watch out. Manuel Sanchez, 72, is a cattle farmer in the area, just the same as his father and his grandfather was. He's no stranger to cattle and even attacks on cattle. But this one has left him baffled and speechless. Four of his calves were killed overnight. Not only were they killed, but their inner organs were all gone. Their tongues were sliced out, udders removed, and even their facial skin was gone. Since Sanchez is a longtime cattle farmer, he has seen mountain lions and coyotes kill cattle. He has even heard of thieves coming in and stealing the meat from farms, but what happened to his cattle is something else. There wasn't a single track found around the bodies, and those bodies were found in a pasture that was protected by two locked gates. Even stranger was there wasn't a drop of blood on the ground, nor was there any on the remaining skin. He explained to the Denver Post, A lion will drag its kill. Coyotes rip and tear flesh. These were perfect cuts, like with a laser or like a scalpel. And what would take the waste, all the guts, and, and leave the nice tender meat? Sanchez wasn't the only cattle farmer to experience something like this within 2009. There were apparently at least eight other cases that were very similar in southern Colorado. Tom Miller was one of three ranchers that reported mutilated cattle in March of 2009. Miller went out to feed his herd of cattle one morning. His cattle consisted of about 80 red and black Angus cows and some calves. When he got out there, the herd was running around, and one cow in particular was acting strange. Miller said she was raising all kind of devil. This cow had just given birth about a week before, and past the locked gate was the calf. Its front legs and torso were missing, and its back legs were just hanging on to a destroyed pelvis bone. Miller at first thought a pack of coyotes must have attacked the calf, but then he noticed something very odd. The ears of the calf were removed in a circular, surgical-like pattern, and he noted that there weren't any tracks around the body, nor was there any blood. An inspector, Dennis Williams from the Colorado brand, Unit, came out to look at the calf. Williams said that it looked like the calf had been dropped from a high distance, the way the hips were dislocated, and all its bones broken. William was looking at the last of three strange mutilated cattle he investigated that month. Mike Duran was the other cattle farmer that Williams investigated. His 26-year-old cow's udder and rear end were taken with what he said looked like laser cuts, like somebody cuts metal with a torch. Now, what's really bizarre is that all three of the farmers that William investigated Sanchez, Miller, Duran, 
had all experienced mutilations before. Sanchez experienced it in both 2006 and 1993, Miller in 1997 and 1980, and Duran in 2000 and 1995. Sanchez also says he and his wife saw glowing blue lights hovering over a ridge near his pasture in July and August, but didn't say if he believed they were UFOs or not. He just said, I just say the truth, and that's what I saw. Whereas Duran believes that if it wasn't human and it wasn't a predator, then there's only one other option. He said, I do believe it was UFOs. The universe is so big, a lot of people think we are the only ones here. And for these cattle ranchers and others who have had their cattle mutilated, they never got a definitive answer. Like I mentioned before, I have been to the San Luis Valley and stayed for about a week on the other side of the mountains, which means I could see the sky over the San Luis Valley. I unfortunately didn't have any experiences or see anything out of the ordinary, to my knowledge. But I will say this. The skies are so beautifully clear there at night that you can even see satellites orbiting around the Earth. I'm not used to seeing clear skies like that, so at first I kept thinking I was seeing a UFO. But then my boyfriend, who has lived in Colorado, corrected me. This part of Colorado is one of the darkest places in the U.S. For example, the Great Sand Dunes hold the title of International Dark Sky Park from the Dark Sky Association, which I didn't even know existed. Now, this may help the theory of people mistaking things in the sky that they don't usually see for a UFO, but this could also help the other side. Maybe because the sky is so clear, people are able to see UFOs much more frequently and clearly. Either way, it does not explain snippies and the other cattle's strange deaths. Another theory is due to the hot springs in the valley. Some believe that UFOs, or the aliens, are attracted to the geothermal pools in the valley due to their thermomagnetic energy. There are a couple different hot springs which resorts have now taken advantage of, and it even made it possible for the Cater Reptile Park to have a sanctuary there. Now, this next theory is much more plausible and logical to me personally, and it has to do with the good old military. This valley might be a hotspot for UFOs due to Colorado's heavy military presence. There are some that believe that the San Luis Valley is, or was, a testing ground for new types of military aircrafts. There is even speculation that in the nearby Blanca Peak, which is part of the Sangre de Cristo mountain range, there is a secret extraterrestrial base. Now, this has not been proven at all, but locals believe it. I mean, NORAD, which is the military base inside the Cheyenne Mountain, is in Colorado Springs, so it's not too far off the beaten path. Plus, the Pentagon did just recently report that UFOs do exist. We're still waiting on their thoughts about aliens, but until then, we'll have to keep speculating. Now, I love an alien story, and I think they're so fascinating because the universe is so big that how can we really think we're alone? Plus, what could all these people be seeing? I mean, 
there are tales not only just from different towns, but all across the world. And now there are even videos and pictures. This is just one instance where a town feels like they might have a higher population of alien visitors. But there are many other towns in the U.S. and all around the world that feel the same way. So what could they be seeing? I don't know. I guess I'll leave that up to you guys. So what do you think? Are there really aliens out there? We're on Instagram, at OutThereCryptids, so make sure to follow us and tell us all of your thoughts on the cryptids we cover and what you'd like to hear next. It would mean a lot to us if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. It's a great way for other people to get to listen to the podcast as well. Next week, I will be covering a cryptid that has been apparently roaming the Pine Barrens since its unnatural birth. That's right, the Jersey Devil. See you next week. This episode was written and hosted by me, Josh, with logo design by Jason Zykes and theme music from purpleplanet.com.